are listening to WHOA Podcast, coming to you from Gainesville, Florida. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the WHOA GNV Podcast, the podcast bringing you businesses and individuals that make you go, whoa. My name is Colin Austin, and I am your host, and my co-host is Michael Dees, the COE, the chief of everything at New Scooters for Less. What is up, my man? Not much, man. How are you doing this morning? I'm great. It's like a semi-permanent talking, thing Talking in the mic, talking, bro. Talking semi- in the mic. Come on. <laughs> I'm here. Yeah. You all right this morning? I'm good. Good. I'm good. What's good. going on? You guys got storage going like crazy yeah, right now? Yeah, storage. Now it's graduating. Actually, this episode is so funny because we're recording. Like a month behind. Yeah. This actually comes out in June. We'll be like well into right, summer by like the time this comes out. So, well, anyway, but you, April April 29th, we are in storage mode, kids right. getting ready to graduate this weekend, technically. Yeah, it's actually one of my favorite weekends of the year coming up, because you've got graduation, you've got May the 4th for all you Star Wars fans out there, <laughs> you got Cinco de Mayo for all you other fans out there, and then um, it's a Kentucky Derby weekend, too, so yeah. that's a, it's a fun weekend. And it's Game of Thrones. Yeah, Day everybody's talking about <laughs> Game of Thrones. Game is yeah, what I call it. <laughs> Game of Thrones. End games going on. There's a lot of stuff going on right now. Cool, man. Well, I'm excited about this show. I want to introduce everybody to our guest, Jennifer Webb. She is the co-founder of Magic Communications, a company dedicated to helping people attract and create what they want and speak to others with influence and compassion. That was wow. good. That's awesome. That's like a long line. It keeps going, but I'm going to stop there. <laughs> I, I have a hard time with long intros because I'll run out of breath. <laughs> but Jennifer, welcome to our show. Thank you. Wow, there's so much energy this morning. <laughs> yeah, it's super hard, up, right? <laughs> it's like really hard to have this much energy this early in the morning, but we love it. And, you know, we, 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 make, we make do. So, but thanks for coming and waking up early with us and being here on the show. Before we started, I was asking her if she's a morning person and she, what, what time did you say you get up? Well, I said I get up at 4.30. Not that I like getting up at 4.30, but if I get up at 4.30, I do more. So I believe it's the time I should get up, but I'd actually rather stay up late. Anyhow, yeah. 4.30 it's typically. discipline about it. You know, you know, I was just saying, like, everybody's been asking me about, like, the, you know, calling your 4 a.m. or 4.30 a.m. routine. Are you still keeping it up? You know, I did it for the first quarter. And, and I'll be honest man like I, I, I was struggling I was struggling just because I was getting to the end of the week I was getting to like Thursday and Friday and being completely just exhausted and not feeling at my best so I was trying to readjust my schedule a little bit so for everybody who's been keeping track I'm definitely trying to keep you know keep my schedule uh just trying to adjust my schedule to where I'm like sleeping in a little bit so I feel like now I've been getting up at like 6 7 a.m um depending on which day it is and then you know, like, I don't know, going to bed at like midnight, one a.m. I try to get, midnight would be great, like, but it just it just depends, man. I'm like I'm I'm trying to flex, I'm trying to figure out the the right thing, but I just cannot keep up with right. the four thirty a.m. What works thing. for some does doesn't work for all. And yeah. I think you got to give it a good try to figure out whether it works for you or not. And yeah, you know something interesting I read recently, something called tired joy. I went, what? It's that you you're doing what you want to do, but you're not paying attention to your hours, and so you're starting to look at what you like to do. It's not this much fun anymore. I'm exhausted. So re again, everybody has a different schedule. So I don't want tired joy. You know, I want, I guess, energetic joy or whatever. So what do I need to change in order to still keep doing what I love to do? without feeling at Thursday night that I'm dying. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. All right, well, so why don't we get into it a little bit? I wanna hear about your <laughs> your story, what got you to where you're at today. I Just so, I mean, I went and I saw Jennifer speak at the Gainesville Area Women's Network. Yeah. And it was fantastic. 
Like, You're sweet, but thank it, you. It was awesome. I have to say, I don't know if I've ever been to something to a local speak. You know, I go. You know, anytime there's speaking things. I mean, that, that's what's so great about this community is there's little speaking things happening all over the place all the time. And I don't know if I've ever been to one where there was a standing ovation at the end. Like everybody in that group stood up, was giving you so much love for that presentation. And it, I mean, it deserved it because it was awesome. But um, but that's just something that, that really kind of stood out to me. And I was like, okay, well, like this is, this is one, the topics that, I mean, that you're talking about in the way you, I don't know if I've ever seen anybody light a fire inside of a, a, a building like that to, to make the point, but I mean, she brings in Matt. I'm gonna let her explain and like tell her story a little bit and then and guide into like how the magic comes into her speaking engagements and stuff, but it's very, very unique. Well, thank you. I wanted to say though, with a standing ovation, gosh, it's good to get a standing ovation. And yet it's all about ego because I had a mentor a jillion years ago, a wonderful South African uh, speaker named Gil Eagles. And he worked with me for a year before I was allowed to talk. And so the night before I did my first presentation that Gil had helped me with, I said, gee, I hope I'm good. I hope they love me, I really do. And he said, oh, we've wasted our time. You ought to be an actress or a singer. I went, what, no, Gil. He said, yeah, apparently your ego is all that. He said, if you're worrying about if they love you, if they give you a standing ovation, if they applaud, boy, have we wasted our time. He said, "If you, you, know, you better get your ego out of here, Jennifer, and focus on, do you have a message and are you gonna get it? So I love getting standing ovations, but I have to always check my ego because it's too easy to go, oh, they loved me. <laughs> Rather than, did I, did I say what I meant to say and is it gonna impact somebody? So, you know, there's some balance somewhere there, I hope, but thank you. No, I mean, it came across as super authentic. You went in there and you delivered and everybody gave the credit that was deserved. I mean, well, it, was, it was awesome. So, well, I mean, so Jennifer, tell us a little bit about your story. Take us back. How did you get to the point where you started like speaking and traveling and doing all of these things and, and how to, how it led into magic communications. And how long do we have? Oh. <laughs> That's what's so great is that this is our podcast. We have as long as we want. Okay, the short version is I was a journalist for years. That's how I raised my family. Had um, great blessings. I got to interview all kinds of cool people. Muhammad Ali, Orson Welles. Um, those were my two favorite. Um, um, Bear Bryant was my dad's favorite that I got to interview. Anyhow, I never made any money, but I was a writer and I loved doing it. And then I kept, but I had a really, really, really rotten life. Um, abusive husband, yada, yada. And I kept wondering why my life wouldn't get any better. And so I read at least 200 self-help books, probably more. And at the end of every self-help book, it would say, and now that you've got it. And I would go, what's wrong with me? does everybody else have it? I still don't get it. Um, and so I tried to figure out where was the gap or the disparity between people that were successful and apparently appeared happy and me. And so somewhere along the line, people said, do you know that actually people earn a living doing what you're doing? Because I would tell everybody that I knew, you know, if you thought this way, you know, I, I believe that this is what's stopping you. And so I finally realized that people could get in front of back then, believe it or not, it was a typewriter uh, instead of a computer. Uh, I could get in front of the typewriter, in front of the computer and share the information. And so I thought, well, I should do this, but I was terrified of getting up in front of people. 
So I went to Toastmasters, and Toastmasters is a wonderful organization to teach you how to speak. Well, the first thing you do is have a one-minute icebreaker. That's all you have to do. I rehearsed it. I got there. I was so nervous. I went in the bathroom and threw up, and then I did my one-minute icebreaker, and I survived, and I spoke for a while and realized I actually like this, and I think I've got a bit of talent. Yes, I'm going, I have a talent. I can do this, and so that slowly turned into uh, not writing. I have books out, and I still love writing and blogs and what have you, but being able to get in front of people and share a message with a story, with a magic trick, with interaction with them that makes them think she's not someone that's lecturing. She's been there. She's done that. She's felt that. Wow. And here are some alternatives or some ways. So that's the short version of how I went from deciding I was going to be, I think when I was a kid, I wanted to be a war correspondent and there was no war. And so I just thought I'd be a a writer instead a journalist. And then how I got into motivational speaking. And that's what I've been doing since I think about 1993 for a long time. Yeah, but give us some details. <laughs> so, how, so how, so what year, like what, that was, you said 1993? Three was, I believe, the, fi- the year I said, okay, I can Done let go being... of everything else that I'm doing. Oh, goodness, can I actually survive and so on. What, as a speaker? As a speaker. Okay. And, I mean, do you remember even getting that first speaking I remember the like... first professional, uh, the, well, the first big client I had was Chemical Bank in Manhattan because I lived in Manhattan. And I was so thrilled. It was two half days. And I thought I did a wonderful job until they gave me the video. And I was so appalled by the video because I was so concerned that people knew I was authentic that my head was cocked the whole day. And nobody <laughs> said, you know, do you have a back problem? Do you have a neck problem? And yet um, I never stood up straight. So I have never not stood up straight after seeing the first video. But that was the first big client. And the person who hired me took me to lunch. And I said, so tell me, I think her name was Marie. So tell me, Marie, why did you decide to hire me? And I was expecting something about my talent. And she said, you just kept calling. So there's a lot for tenacity. Um, and then, you know, and I'm... So is that how you got those original, the first speaking gigs? You just called businesses and was like, hey, I let me come speak or what? I actually took the yellow pages and I made phone calls. And then also I uh, had a friend who worked with American Management Association where I do still now a lot. And she said, somebody's sick. Would you, could you fill in? And I went, sure, if they want me. And so I filled in, and so they liked me, and they kept me. And then Dun and Bradstreet had a training leg, and somebody told them about me. And so I worked with them until they shut down their training leg in Manhattan for years. So it was one person um, that knows somebody that tells, you know, that shares. It, it's that um, networking, if you will, that got me some of the first gigs. And then I learned, then I joined National Speakers Association and then learned a lot about how one markets, although I still am a dismal marketer, I'm continually learning, um, and all the things to make one a highly effective speaker. Um, And as a matter of fact, one quick note going back to ego, when I was at the National Speakers Association chapter in Manhattan, they voted me the one to rec- uh, represent them at a national conference. And I was very excited and I had a damn good program. And yet again, ego got in the way. I got in the room and I went, look at all of these people. Oh my gosh, am I going to be as good as they are? And it was a timed program. 
and I didn't have any water, which is why I will not speak to this day without water. My water was in the back of the room. I was in the front. I got nervous, and my mouth stuck shut, and I mm. ended my program. Thank you. It was the worst <laughs> thing in the world. So we learn a lot from failure. Yeah. Unfortunately. So is the National Speakers Association, is that something that you like apply for? Or like how does? Actually you do, I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. I've been in, I'm, I'm a 25 plus member because I got a little pin, but when, back when I started you had to, um, you had to, you had to get references and show you'd spoken this many times. And I do recall to earn the money for it, I was doing some kind of magic gig in New Jersey somewhere in Atlantic City. And I thought, okay, once this is over, I'll have the funds I need to sign up because I signed up to become a speaker way back when I first started. And uh, so it was, for me at the time, a whole lot of money. But well, it, was, it was worth it because I thought it was something that kept me aware of everything that was going on in the industry. And um, so I've been, a, I've been a part of it ever since, along with other things, so like what, all of us. So what brought you like to this area? Because you Gainesville? Be, yeah, because you could be doing this from anywhere. Like, why are you? A daughter and an 11-year-old grandson. Because okay. I lived in Manhattan a long time, and then I was uh, decided I wanted green, and I moved to Reno, Nevada for a long time, where the, my animal nonprofit is. And then my daughter was in Texas, and she said, the economy is wonderful here, Mom, come. So I lived in San Antonio for five years, and then my daughter ended up moving back to Gainesville, and my son tells me I should be living with him in Fort Worth, but I can't deal with the traffic in Dallas-Fort Worth. <laughs> so I came to Gainesville, and I'm hoping, never say never, but I don't believe I'll ever move, because I adore the area. Yeah. I love the green, I love the smarts, I love the, the nature with everything around, like the springs. Um, I quite love the area. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about how the this whole, the magic side kind of came into your talks. Did you because like my magic? I loved it. I mean, it's, well, one, you know, I think it's important as a speaker, and I'm definitely like a speaker speaker in training, if you will. Like, I don't, You're a wonderful I don't, speaker. Well, thank you. I heard you speak. Thank you. I got I, to introduce you once. I certainly don't <laughs> consider myself an expert, but it is something that I that I love and that I'm constantly like, you know, getting outside of my comfort zone and speaking whenever I have the opportunity. Um, somebody asked me to come and speak at a middle school last week and I have to I have to turn it on, turn it down because of the date and the time it just it didn't coordinate with my schedule, but I'm like like, hmm, that's a different audience. <laughs> a bunch of middle schoolers. That'd be interesting. Um, but you know, the the opportunities to to speak and impact lives. I mean, it, there's that. That's what's really cool is that you definitely have this platform to impact a, a lot of people all, all at one time. Um, and so, so I certainly enjoy it. But like, obviously, as a speaker, I think it's important to really en engage the audience and and captivate them, get get their attention, right? And that's something that you do extremely well. Um, and and you do it through some of these like, ma I mean, through what I would call magic tricks. But magic like, tricks, but you're yeah. like giving a lesson in in the process, and you know, but but captivate, you know, capturing the attention of everybody in the audience. So like, how did that even? you know, come to be a part of what you do. Well, I will tell you all about it, Please. but I just have to compliment you because you gave you gave a lot of entrepreneurial women hope. You talked about where you started, what you did. People lined up afterwards. You talk about my standing ovation. People lined up after to talk to you um, because you your story inspired and gave people hope. And so you're you are an excellent speaker. And that's well, what we all you're welcome. 
And that's what we all try to do, find ways to give people hope and inspiration. You know, you say, and, and sometimes in my program, I say, no matter how much we think we know about who we are, we still have limitations. And the, the song, a jillion years ago, Dinah Washington, um, what a difference a day makes. And so we don't know what this afternoon or tomorrow, what break, who will meet, who will do something that will just change our lives exponentially, and that's hope, and that's that's the inspiration. I use magic for a couple of reasons. I think we're visual learners. I have a very short attention span. Uh, average person, if you don't change something within seven minutes, they are bored stiff. Their minds wander to the email, the problem, the date, the lunch, something going on always. So my belief is if you don't move them continuously, you know, with a question or a magic trick or whatever, they're going to lose focus. I don't care how much they might choose or want to stay involved. Magic came because when I was first starting, again, I was really scared. And that first icebreaker, that minute where I threw up, I was dating. (laughs) That minute I threw up. Well, you know, the minute speech, I threw up before the minute speech. At the time, I was dating the man who owned the world's largest magic shop. I later married that man and later divorced that man, but uh, stayed in touch with lots of folks in the magic world. And so he said, hey, why don't you use a magic trick? They'll look at the magic trick and they won't realize how nervous you are. So I did a magic trick that was self-working and they, son of a gun, they looked at it and they applauded and I went, he might be onto something. And so that's when I decided to start using specific pieces of magic that I could talk about something in the process. So when you saw me, as an example, um, I burned up money and brought it back, obviously, um, <laughs> that was signed. It's a cool trick. Thank goodness. Uh, and, I mean, I, somebody's you, just burning money for fun, and we really got problems. Well, and you know it's one of those things you can never ask. You apologize, because if I ever ask any hotel any place, may I burn up something, but I, I'll promise not to set anything on fire. The answer is 100% <laughs> no. no. Right. So I do it and people go, oh my God. And then of course it turns out okay. Um, but the message is you've got to get comfortable being uncomfortable, taking risks. Because it's what you were talking about when you speak. And so it's a fun way. People love to see somebody else standing up with a had donated $100 bill or whatever it might be. It was 100 that day that gets burned up. So that's that's why I started using magic. Um, as an example, every time I end a program, almost I will tear up a newspaper and then bring it back and remind people, if you don't take an idea or two and do something with it, it's like pre- waking, you know, tearing up. Excuse me, your precious, valuable time. And so think about what you will take away because we've got to make a change all the time if we're going to not get static. And so it's again, it's a fun way to go. Oh yeah, how'd she do that? That's 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 the um, the philosophy or the strategy behind using magic, and you know, like everything, uh, it sets you apart. The old movie uh, Gypsy, you got to have a gimmick, and it's the gimmick. There might be five million female motivational speakers, and hopefully, all of us are useful. Probably not that many that utilize magic as a metaphor for creating change or changing beliefs, etc. Which is another reason that it's fun and that I do it. Yeah, that, that's like what you're really talking on is kind of changing beliefs and like yeah. that that metaphor. Yeah, I'm, I'm too old, I'm too young, I don't have the qualifications, I don't have enough talent. And sometimes they go, wow, 
I didn't expect that. And you know, you can lead it from there for a million different things. We see what we expect to see, that old invisible gorilla tape, you know, that we don't see the gorilla unless we're looking for it. We hear what we expect to hear. Uh, all of these things, uh, more than 70% of eyewitness testimony is thrown out in court because people see what they think they see or what they heard somebody else talk about, which isn't necessarily reality. So we could spend a lot of time talking about there is no such thing as one reality. Your reality and my reality might be different after this podcast. How it went, how I sounded, how people responded, did I say the right thing? And so everybody's reality is continually different. And somebody who is brilliant and has three PhDs might think he or she is just, you know, a fraud. Uh, the imposter syndrome, people don't know how much I really don't know, but I'm, I'm faking it really well <laughs> mentality. And so it's just reminding people, no, no, this is just the version of who you are. This isn't, you know, you don't really know you, who you are. You've got your beliefs, what your teacher, your sister, your spouse, your friends told you, and you buy into it. And maybe it's good, but it isn't. And I don't want to digress or move away from the topic, but I was watching something last Sunday. I think it was, yeah, this, this gentleman who has several um, books out now, and it's all about, he, he gives people postcards wherever he goes and says, send the postcard back with a secret that nobody knows. And they're not silly secrets like, I was a majorette in high school, or I used to juggle, you know, five cats. But they're, they're scary things like, um, I'm trying to lose weight, but I'm scared when I lose the weight, I'll find out that people still don't like me. And I thought maybe they didn't like me just because I was fat. Mm. So you've got all of the, so everybody has these, or most everybody has this secret that they won't tell a, a mother, a father, a spouse, a friend. And so sometimes it's also digging into that secret. I'm not worthy or I'm not whatever. Going back to why I do what I do for a living and having a poor first life, I was married to somebody, and I was a writer, as I said. I had the front page article in the Nashville Tennessean. I, I did a kidnap murder uh, story, and I had a byline on the front page, and I was very proud of it. And I, I um, took it to my husband and said, look at this. And he said, oh, anybody can do that. So when he left me and a woman in town said, we should have lunch together, um, I remembered thinking, why in the world would she want to have lunch with me? So we get these beliefs about ourselves, and magic is one way to start going, whoa, maybe if that's not real, if that can be changed, anything can be real. So again, that's another uh, reason that I use magic. That's really, really cool. Going magic is a Oh, it's not my own belief, but a polarizing topic. It's either for for somebody or not for somebody. Is there ever any like resistance or people that don't think it like plays well or anything like that? Uh, I don't get as much resistance as I get women who say, oh, I just don't like it because I want to figure out how it's done. And so it annoyed me the whole time. And men typically go, I don't care how it's done. This <laughs> is fun. Of wonder. Yeah. So there and it's it's actually split by gender. Um, most most women are not as interested in magic as men are, and the women always want to know what's the process and how is it done. And then I get a lot of people that ask, "Can you show me?" Because I do number magic things that um, that are great for engineers and mathematicians mm -hmm. and scientists, etc. And so I will often have people ask me, uh, "Is that something that I can learn?" And actually, I say yes. 
I, you know, I, I don't have a cure for cancer that a pharmaceutical company is going to buy. So I love to share if it's something doable so, so that somebody else can So you give away your secret sauce? Yes, don't, don't mention that to you, anybody. You yes. teach. <laughs> wow. Maybe you can what? teach me for the middle school when I go do that. There's a, the there's a cool, there's like a cool rubber band melting through that you could do for the middle school. And yeah. they, by the way, are very tough audiences. When I was, <laughs> okay. when I was learning magic, I did magic for children. And they are beautifully honest. So they're great fun to play with as long as you are authentic. And if you try to fake it, they will they will eat you alive. And so it, it was a wonderful training ground for working with grown-ups because adults will not eat you alive. They will write a nasty evaluation or tell their friends something, but they won't go, ah, I know what you did. That's wrong. That's stupid. And children will. So they're, you know, they're one. I love their. Most of the time, I love their their honesty. So it, yeah. it's a fun it's a fun group. And yes, I do really have a couple of things you might want to learn. Cool. Well, I asked them to invite me back because I couldn't do it this time. But I was like, you know, I was like, invite me back in the future and I'll do it. So. So maybe I'll get invited back and then I'll hit you up on that so I can <laughs> go in there and draw some bad. They'd probably be like, no fire whatsoever. <laughs> no fire. No, uh, no fire. No, but, not, not inside the school. But right. seriously, if you do, send me an email or text. I yeah. would love to show you a couple of easy things that they would have fun with. No, I definitely will because I think it'd be, it'd be really cool. So you're, I mean, this is the part that I kind of left out of your intro, but you're also, you're also an author. You've written how many books? Three? Three and a half, because one is little. Okay, three and a half. <laughs> I like the little book is a half book. I like it. Three and a half. Uh, I mean, so what is, is that based on the same stuff? Like, what, are, you, are you teaching your magic tricks in those? Or, or are you, like, what's, what's being? No, the books are all on human potential, always. Okay. Um, my fate, well, no, I have, well, I like all three of them, the, the, the bigger ones. Um, I love a book called The Fido Philosophy. You heard me talk about it probably mm -hmm. in the program that I did. It's basically on letting go. Uh, it stands for uh, forget it and drive on, and it came from a Vietnam vet that was very, very frustrated with his life and angry, and he finally realized he had to let go. So I have a whole book on how do you let go? How do you not stay stuck? How do you not stay angry? Because I often talk to people, you know, you everybody knows one person that you give them a little wine or a beer and they'll tell you about somebody that got a bigger cubicle or said something nasty <laughs> to them and they're, and they're still holding on to it. And so how do you not hold on to stuff? And it's not by saying, I'm just not going to think about this anymore because that doesn't work. You know, I think about it more. Don't think about it. If anybody's listening, don't think about a purple elephant. Think about anything but a purple elephant. And of course, we think about purple elephants. So intelligent <laughs> ways to not suppress, but choose to let go. And when I was writing the book and I was talking about it a lot and I went out to talk to a 150 folks somewhere and one of the guys yelled out, I was in Vietnam, that's not the F word. And I said, you know, there's another fine F word for, the, for entrepreneurs, for business community, and it is forgive it and drive on. And we have to forgive folks, not because they deserve it at all, but because if we don't, we are holding on to that negative energy and I don't want a thing to do with them. And somebody said not forgiving is like drinking rat poison. Mm. And then you know you hope the rat dies, and so it's it's a choice. 
happiness is a choice. And I swear I remind myself of that every day. I was annoyed with something yesterday and I went, no, no, come on, you teach this stuff. Happiness is a choice and a skill. And the same with choosing to forgive because it's really easy. And, you know, I can leave here today and go back home. And because I work out of my home and I can run into a driver in the passing lane who is going 20 miles below the speed limit and I can honk and yell and be so annoyed by the time I get home at that idiot. Or I can decide I am not going to let it bother me. And that takes a certain amount of skill. So again, the forgive or forget, simply not holding on and the most amazing thing, excuse me, I'm kind of going on about this, if I can no, no, share one going. more quick yeah, story. No, uh, the most amazing thing, there was a, a YouTube video of an elementary school teacher who said, children, bring in a potato tomorrow for everybody you hate. And apparently these little elementary school kids, and the, my course, the first thought was, how do kids hate? Well, they're carefully taught, obviously, by somebody close to them. In fact, I'm digressing now, but I was living in Manhattan in Penn Station waiting for a train and a two-year-old was screaming at her mother, I hate you, I hate you. And I went, wow, how did she learn that? So these kids thought it was really cool to bring in a bunch of potatoes. You know, I hate Billy and Susie and Joey and whatever. And then it shows plastic bags of potatoes. And then the teacher said, okay, great. Now you carry the bag to the bathroom and to the water fountain and mm -hmm. to recess. And this went on every day. And as the potatoes shriveled and got stinky, you still had to carry the bag. And what a wonderful lesson for little kids if they were aware of it and not, not holding on to it because it's just so bloody easy and look at what it does. And, and I love to throw out acronyms. You know, I throw out FIDO and I love to throw out HALT. Which is forgive it and drive on. Forget, for FIDO is forgive it or forget it and drive on, yeah. Okay. Um, the, the acronym HALT, which isn't mine, someone taught, showed, taught me and I'd love to share it, is uh, don't do anything if you're hungry, angry, late, or tired. I mean, think about, again, how that ties into I'm annoyed or I'm frustrated, and then what's it gonna do? It's gonna wreck our day. Always, or we will. And one more, one more thing on Fido. I can get on a roll. Excuse yeah, me. No. Excuse it's me. It's good stuff. So keep going. It, <laughs> well, it doesn't bother me. <laughs> um, is the importance of forgiving ourselves because most of us have done something, maybe a lot of things. I certainly have that I wish I would have done it differently. Uh, I can't undo it. I simply can't. We we don't send kids to fifth grade and ask them to rewrite history. What can I learn? And if I failed miserably, but if I've learned something from that, then it wasn't a total failure. But if I simply go, oh, I can't believe I screwed up so badly. Um, so it, it's that awareness, forgiving myself, and then, of course, forgiving other people. And that kind of ties into one more thing I'd like to mention, if I may. There's another, ac I love acronyms, another acronym um, called ANTS automatic negative thought syndrome, so that when I'm angry with myself, I start saying, I can't believe I did it again. Oh, I didn't mean to do that. I should have, I put my foot in my mouth. I got angry again. She always makes me. And so it's awareness. If I have those thoughts, and we all do, they say we have a dialogue, um, 600, 800 words a minute. So if I'm saying those things to me, to pay attention and to start arguing against them, either imagine a switch, either turn down the volume, or simply say, that's ridiculous. Oh, I couldn't be so successful. 
if I didn't do it right most of the time. We all make mistakes. Okay, I learn from it. And they, they sometimes say even imagine going back and doing it the way you wish you would have. It's kind of erasing the, the memory or the neural pathway of doing it wrong. Um, and then you move on and you simply you know, don't hold on to it. Um, but talking and arguing against it. And then, excuse me, I, I keep talking here, but one more, this triggered one more thing. There's a great author, um, Mickey Singer, Michael Singer, who lives in the area. And he has a, I've gotten to know him to some degree because he's my neighbor. And he had this book, has this wonderful book. And in it, he says, imagine that little voice. It says, you screwed up, Colin. Jennifer, you really blew it, didn't you? What if that little voice, you pulled it out of your head and it was a person? that was right there next to you, sitting next to us right now. How long would we, is it Mike or Michael, forgive me? Oh, either is fine. Okay. You can call me Mike. Mike, okay. How, well, I love the name, my son's Michael. So Mike, how long would you tolerate hanging around with somebody if they said, boy, you did a bad job, Mike. Mike, when are you ever gonna learn? Mike, the way you draw, or whatever it might be, we wouldn't tolerate them for half a day. Get lost. I don't need that kind of negative energy. And so, you know, it's the same thing, this automatic negative thought syndrome. No, I don't need that anymore. And so how do you decide I'm going to argue against it or go, it's just a thought. It's not reality. It, it's a belief, but a belief is a thought that we've thought over and over and over again. Okay, I should probably come up for air and let you talk. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. No. I mean, I... I like I hear what you say, especially when it comes to like moving on and not like getting hung up. But I feel like sometimes that can be super tough, at least for, at least for some people, right? That they, they they dwell on things for entirely too long, versus just being like, "Up, oh, it's done. I messed up. Time to move forward, refocus, mind, change mindset." Okay, like yeah. I want to be happy. Like. Focus, focus, happiness is a choice. All right, I'm gonna be happy. Like, but like, accept, that's it. Accept. That's, I'm happy. No, listen, right now, I'm, <laughs> you know, like, like some, I mean, it just sounds way easier said than it's done. It's not easy at all. Yeah, it's but terribly like, hard. So, I mean, is there, like, what can people do to get to move quicker through the that process and not, not dwell so much? I mean, is. I think there are a whole lot of things, and it is not easy. It is not easy at all, which is why it took me so long, <coughs> excuse me, and why I'm, I've written books and will keep on reading and learning, uh, and why I was so disillusioned with all those self-help books that said, and now, and now you've got it. No, I didn't get it at all. Um, yeah, you said you read, what, 200 or something? <laughs> I, well, I read a lot more, but back then, it was at least 200, and everyone claimed to change my life if I read it. And my life never did change. You know, at the last page of every book, uh, I remember The Magic of Believing by uh, uh, Chris, I forgot his name now. Um, And that was the one that I was sure was gonna change my life. And they're all good books. Um, A couple of things, it typically, a good way to start is three things. One, I love the acronym SOS, a series of small successes. Everything, if I wanna lose weight, if I wanna learn a language, it's a teeny tiny incremental Um, task and how we improve, then it's not beating yourself up. Then it's deciding to do one small thing. Mindfulness, pay attention to what you're thinking. Uh, Maybe even write down how many times you start to go feeling a certain way. Um, Another thing to do is from neuro-linguistic programming that I've got a background in is to find a place, they, they call it a resource state, 
find a place where you feel good. Uh, for me, it used to be when I lived in Nevada, um, sitting in the mountains and uh, feeling the sun and knowing that Lake Tahoe was over the hill, smelling the pine, having my dogs, whatever it is, it's where you feel. You don't try. You're not in your head. Uh, emotion is how we sell. Emotion is how we change. So you start to feel different. And then so you focus on going back to that specific feeling uh, of whatever it is, feeling confident if you're a nervous speaker, feeling relaxed, feeling happy. Uh, then you look at what one small thing you can do differently. And then another big thing is to ask yourself where this belief came from, because there's something called PCC, premature cognitive commitment uh, in psychology, that says so often what you believe, I'm bad at math, or I'll never be able to do this, or I've always screwed this up, came from someone else. And usually when we were vulnerable and we weren't paying attention, uh, a high school math teacher that told a girl that wanted to be an engineer, you know, girls are not good in math decide to be an English professor or whatever it is, and we buy it. Um, I had some successful women in the different classes that I've had. One engineer, I still remember her first name is Stephanie, who said, I don't feel as smart as my colleagues. And then she said, um, in high school, my guidance counselor said, Stephanie, for a woman with your IQ, you're not doing too badly. And so it colored how she thought about everything. And one more example, when I lived in Nevada, I had a woman who heard me speak, who said, I'm getting ready to speak to my colleagues, and I'm not, I don't feel like I'm their equal. I've got a master's, they've got their master's, but I think the men, I always feel men are smarter than me. I wonder if you could give me some tricks, you know, some ideas to really rev them up. And I said, sure. So she came over on a Saturday in January through the Nevada um, uh, hit mountains, you know, the Sierra Nevada hills, mountains. And before we started, all of a sudden, I, I actually have a certification in hypnosis, but I choose not to use it, but I like the language. But I didn't do anything. I didn't say count down from 10 to 9. <laughs> I simply offered her bagels and tea. And I swear she said, you know, I'm four or five years old. I'm holding on to the sides of the chair so I don't cry. And my dad and my brother are saying girls are not as smart as boys. Girls can never be as smart as boys. And she did one of these slapping to the head and said, oh, my goodness, I didn't teach her anything. We talked, and she drove back over the mountain, and she sent me an email that she was brilliant. This belief that's not ours gets stuck somewhere. And even the, 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 the most brilliant rock star, the most brilliant scientist, all of you, all of us, somebody says something. And so sometimes part of changing how I feel, it's certainly not saying, well, just think differently. It's not that easy. But look to see where a thought came from. Wow, why in the world do I think I'm not capable of standing my own in a room full of type Ds or whatever? And then the more I read and chew on it and think about it, the more it starts to sink in. And the best book, I like my books, but the best book ever <laughs> written was Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning because he was a Jewish psychiatrist at a German concentration camp, and he said, I have more freedom than my guards. I get to choose how I think. And he, he started his form of psychology, logotherapy, that said, with purpose, I can do anything. And so we all know somebody, usually an old person that lived right past a, um, a, an anniversary or the birth of a grandchild, 
if I have a purpose, I can do anything. And so he watched people choose. So we have such incredible, incredible abilities. We don't we don't begin to use our abilities. So some of those things are starting places. And then there's all kinds of different things with NLP and so on. But you, you don't start with 20 things. You start with one or two. But you know that there are absolutely a lot of different techniques to change how you're thinking because you're not stuck there. It feels like you're stuck, but you're not. So then starting to incrementally do one thing and then build on that with another um, can be very, very powerful well, and kind of magical. What's NLP? Newer Linguistic Programming. Newer New, Linguistic. Neural, I'm, neural. I'm, I'm neural. Neural Linguistic. Neuro, N-E-U-R-O. I can't pronounce this morning. Neural. Linguistic. You know, how we program what we think um, and that can be changed. Again, a belief is just a thought we've <clears throat> thought over and over and it goes back to habitual thinking. You know, we think it so much that we think it's reality and it has nothing to do with reality. It's simply a thought that we've thought a lot and so we believe it is until someone, that go back to magic, until someone says, wow, that really got changed and, and then we um, changed because of that. It's awesome. Do you think it's all just behavioral modifications? I mean, this is, I, I like to say sometimes we're on like this renaissance of mental health awareness and the problem with that is also that we're in an age where we have to take a pill for everything and you know, obviously there's a, a psychiatrical side of things. Do you think everything can be modified by this like behavioral conditioning or it, I don't wanna ask you if you understand when there might be a need for, for taking medication for certain things, but that's kind of what I'm getting at. Like, it, it, is it as easy as just trying to convince your, and I know it's not easy, but just to try to convince yourself, put yourself through these exercises, read? No, not always, no. Um, Dr. Daniel Amen in his book, Change Your Brain, Change Your Life, talks about the necessity of brain scans that, and it's, it's still pretty far out right now, but that when a child gets uh, his or her uh, vaccines and the checkups, <coughs> excuse me, that um, they get a brain scan. And therefore, some children need more nutrients. And if they don't, um, there was a recent example, of, I think she was nine, child that had gone through every school, private schools, her parents had had her in psycho with psychologists, didn't know what to do with her, had a brain scan, and she was incredibly short. The brain was not getting some of the nutrients that it needed. And so by then it turned out, showed how within two years she had turned into an incredible student um, on her way to you know getting going to college early, et cetera. So that's one thing. Sometimes people must take medication. Absolutely, there are so many different variables. Um, it's hard. It's hard to be tolerant when we see violence. However, sometimes if you scan the brain, and I'm making no excuses, but if you if you scan the brains of some of the individuals who have created the violence, there are incredible, and I'm not an expert in this at all, mm -hmm. but there are incredible deficits, there are incredible differences that could have been uh, managed with medications or other things. So no, um, if, if something is not working, and that's, you know, you're right that we take pills for everything these days, which is very sad. On the other hand, there's still a stigma and there will be, who knows, maybe my entire lifetime, that if you are having any problem that you can't take care of from a mental perspective, I don't talk about it. 
I can tell you I've got cancer. I can tell you I have a sprained leg. I can tell you I have migraines. I can talk about any problem with my body and you will be sympathetic, except how many people do you know that say, I am terribly depressed, I'm going to a therapist, I'm on medication, I'm suicidal, I'm angry all the, no. That, that's, that's the secret, that's very private. And so people don't get help, and so it can lead, obviously, to so many, so many things. Suicides, the number of our servicemen who commit suicide. I'm on the board of Canines for Warriors. I love them dearly, because here are men fighting for their sanity and peace again, and the animals, which I'm so crazy about, um, are helping them do so, and so they're saving the lives of the animals and the individual. I don't even remember, and I've been told as recently as the last time I was out working with them, which is about two weeks ago, the number of suicides you know, with our, with our veterans. And so, so much of it goes back to there are many, many different interventions. There's not one thing but to be able to talk about it. And it shouldn't be something that I'm embarrassed to talk about. When I got divorced, I was so depressed, and I found a therapist that I could afford. But did I tell anybody that I was going to a therapist? Heavens no, because I should be strong enough. And again, uh, it's more of an emphasis on a man than a woman. Oh, come on, suck it up, you know, you can handle this. No, I can't. I mean, look at the tragedies like Robin Williams. No, we can't handle it. So the different ways, it can start though with simply being aware of how I'm feeling, what's not working, I can't do it all myself. And then there are books, there are therapists, there are medications, there are other things. But medication sometimes for that, um, fortunately, is wonderful. It depends on the situation. But we, what we know is it don't just assume that I'm unhelpable, I'm unreachable, because that's not the case. And that obviously is what uh, despair and depression uh, do to us. And we don't think that we have an alternative. And then, you know, it's this downward spiral. Um, I don't think there sh- that we should have a pill for everything. You know, I would tend to think there's getting out in nature and doing a variety of other things are much more effective. Um, however, we can't. There's always, always a way to create change. It simply depends on the individual uh, and having the tenacity and the courage to get uncomfortable and talk about it or find what one needs. Do you do you agree? I do. Fostering those conversations <laughs> where it is okay to to talk about that stuff and break down those stigmas, I think, is is something we haven't figured out how to totally do. Um, and sometimes, I mean, it starts in being able to tell your family and your coworkers and your bosses, or whatever you know, wherever you feel comfortable. But who still might say, "Oh, come on, just suck it up. Right. You've got a great life." Yes, I do. However, that doesn't mean, and this goes back to Fido. Quit beating yourself up. I should be able to do this. Man, I'm, I'm smarter and more lucky. And No, no, quit beating yourself up. Uh, forgive yourself, now find an answer. Only beat yourself up if you're not willing to do something about it. Hmm. And that's a big, big difference. Um, part of that also, I believe, and they're kind of two different topics, but people forget to appreciate. You know, I just got back from two and a half weeks in Egypt, and I guess someone said, you were in a bubble, and I guess I was in a bubble. I know what third world countries are, but the poverty was so audacious, overwhelming, incredible, that on my worst day in this beautiful city of Gainesville, uh, it's 500 times, perhaps, better 
than the average individual who lives in Cairo, as an example. So you know, just the um, just the appreciation. Um, the 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 last book I wrote. What yeah, was that? Perspective. <laughs> Perfect. I'm sorry, perspective. perspective. Oh, thank you. I'm deaf and I have my it, it, ear headphones on. Right, well. I, I mumble too, so uh, <laughs> not a good combination. It is, it is perspective and sometimes finding ways to point that out. You know, appreciation is incredible. Um, um, the, the last book I wrote on the powers we have and how to enhance them, I made up a name, Serendicity, for attracting luck and creating opportunity and it starts with appreciation. And I work on that every single day before I put my feet on the floor, other than getting my hot tea in the morning at 4.30, <laughs> is what do I have to be appreciative of for today? And I, I swear, after getting back from Egypt, I have everything, you know, just just health. And if I needed something, I could get it. More than 250,000 people live in the cemetery in Cairo because the cemetery has tombs and the tombs have rooms and they have no place to live, you know, and, and those are the lucky ones, some of them. So um, anyhow, just the the incredible importance of appreciation and remembering it and telling myself and telling my friends. And there is a, Cody Bateman was the CEO of a company called Send Out Cards, one of the first electronic card companies. And he started it because his brother helped him move. And he was in Utah and he put furniture on the top of his truck and he was moving and um, he wanted to, had an overwhelming desire to jump out of the truck and hug his dad, his, excuse me, his brother. And he was in a hurry, so he just went on, waved, honked. His brother was killed the next uh, month in a car accident. And he, then he started send out cards. I will never let a day go by that I don't tell somebody that I really care about them. And I was talking somewhere a couple of weeks ago. I have no idea where I was speaking. And this woman came up to me afterwards and said, thank you for mentioning appreciation. She said, my son was killed by a drunk driver in his 20s, but I have no regrets that every day we spoke multiple times and I told him I loved him. So just the remembrance, I don't want any regrets. And so that, simply that kind of helps create talking about how do I get over feeling, I'm so angry, I'm so whatever, I can't just think different. Sometimes we start off looking at what we have to appreciate. And that kind of goes to one of the first stories I tell when I speak, uh, been around forever, of two wolves. Uh, you know, one wolf that we have inside us, uh, the Cherokee father was educating his little boy, and he said, one wolf inside me is mean, addictive, judgmental, one is nurturing, loving, understanding, and they're clashing to the death. And your little boy says, which one, Dad? And he waits, and then he said, the one I feed. And so that's the one, and part of, again, monitoring the mindfulness, what am I thinking, is, yeah, I started off this day, yeah, I heard this podcast, it inspired me, or I read a book, or I did something, and then something happens. And if I'm not paying attention, I am feeding the wrong wolf. I can't believe she did that. I hate this job. I am never. I don't trust anybody again. And then you go, wait, this was isolated. No, no, this is not. Let me go back to choosing. What do I still have to be appreciative of? And there's, you know, at least fifty things. Did I get sidetracked? I mean, I no, love it. I love it. I don't remember. <laughs> I thought we were talking about one. Uh, we were talking about. Um, beliefs and depression and how you actually create right. change. Okay, but I do believe that appreciation is awfully important. Absolutely. The, um, 
There's something that one of my team members had written down here about like charisma principle. Can you explain what that is? Attracting. Is, it, is this in one of your books? It is. It's attracting what I want. Um, and how do I attract what I want? By the beliefs that I choose to think. And it's basically everything that we've talked about so far. If my yeah. beliefs are not serving me and I say, but I need to take another course, I need to do something different, it always starts with us. There's something I did a while back, I would ask people, what one thing do you wanna change? Okay, now, what is stopping you? Now, cross that out and put me. Because it's not me. You have no idea the boss I work for. You have no idea how many bills I've got. Well, if I didn't have children, well, if I had a degree, well, if I had a better degree, well, if I was a little bit younger, well, I'm too old, they're not gonna, it starts with me. Because if I genuinely, authentically believe, you know, sometimes people will say something like, um, oh, Mike, I can't imagine having the life that you've got. And the smart aleck, smart aleck, excuse me, smart aleck, but honest answer is, well, you're right. Because if I can't imagine it and see it, I ain't gonna get it. Or if I do get it by some dumb bit of luck, I'll sabotage it and I'll lose it. So I've got to be able to genuinely believe. So if I'm going to attract what I want, it starts by having the courage to analyze what am I thinking? What am I angry about? Who am I blaming? Uh, what, how does my day, what am I focusing on? What do I need to change in order to create that? Um, and then that goes along with some of the other um, principles that I talk about, like x-ray vision, you know, how do you see past your problem to the solutions? Because if you've ever had, maybe you guys are lucky and you haven't, I have. If you've ever had the misfortune to work for a bad boss, I had a boss that used to scream at me uh, from the time I walked in the newsroom years ago. This kind of boss will simply say, the problem with this is, or the problem with you is, and you don't want that. Obviously, so if you can see past the problem to the part that shines, man, we can, we can do anything. And again, it starts with us and who we surround ourselves with, what we think, what do I watch on TV before I go to bed? Um, certainly not the news because it's going to be so negative. What am I putting into my body? The, um, the, there was a story that Carnegie made more millionaires during his era than anybody and he was interviewed and asked how you do it. And he said, it's a lot like digging for gold. You've got to dig past the dirt to the part that shines. And I love to tell the story, my son is dyslexic. And when he was a kid, he had such trouble reading and kids made fun of him so much that he, um, he was just miserable. And I had to take him out of school and find, figure out how to teach this child to read. And I took him to a neurologist, we lived in New York, did a battery of tests on my son and said, send him to a nice vocational school. He is not smart enough for college. And seeing past the dirt, I kept thinking, oh, he has no idea how smart Michael is and you know what he's gonna be capable of doing. Um, so I thought I'd wait as long as I could to tell him he couldn't go to college and once he got his master's in forensic science, he manages a crime lab today in Fort Worth and he, a scholarship to Oxford, I told him. So all of us, um, our friends or our family or somebody we care about, we see the potential and that's part of what we're talking about, especially if I'm an entrepreneur and I have to see what nobody else says I can do 
or if I'm a parent, or if I'm a manager, you know, I see what other people don't. So this this X-ray vision, seeing the potential when nobody else can. And for some reason, I think I got sidetracked again. No, Forgive it's me. good. I, don't know what you I, were. I feel like oh, you the, know, chari- hearing, the charisma principle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and just hearing <laughs> that, though, I mean, it makes me realize, uh, and, and we know this. We know this as leaders that like we need to look for the positives more than the negatives in people, right? I think the tendency is, you know, we're not going to necessarily go around and and it it's just way easier when things aren't going right to stop and fix the things that aren't going right, right? Like you do a great job all, like 99% of the time. Oh, thanks. But I almost said 98%. 99% of the time. There's a 1%, but like we focus a lot of the time on the 1%. Right, we, it, we it's, always it's like it's like, hey man, like look, this is where things are lacking. This is where things need to get better. This way, you know, like it's it's always easier to focus on the that negative or the needs improvement area. But we need as leaders very often to go to our teams and or just the people around us, whether it's our kids, whether it's like whomever, and and constantly pull out that positive, being like, man, you get like you're you're rocking it in this area. Good job. Keep investing into that area. Keep doing, you know. And we just don't do that enough. I think we're uh, guilty of it ourselves, though. Like, we, you look at reviews, business reviews, and you're so quick to leave a bad review whenever something goes bad. But how often do you sit down and, and talk about all the good things that happen? Of course. Yes, yes. Of course. And it's still that mental state. Like, you can't, it's almost like uh, I can't be bothered to leave the good thing. I'm just happy that it was good. But as soon as something goes bad, you're, you become that keyboard warrior. And yeah. it's just that mentality, you know? So it's, it's a good reminder. And it again, I teach, I teach what I have to learn. You know, I am not a hypocrite. I fall off this wagon of what I'm talking about all the time. But I know we have tools. And maybe that's the hope, the blessing that all of everybody that's listening, every, I mean, unless we're walking on water out the door here today, all of us are going to fall off of what we're doing and what we know is right. However, when we go, okay, I've got all these tools, I can get back on, I know what works. And perhaps it's remembering to tell somebody part part of you know i brush my teeth i do whatever i take a bath I, whatever shower and i remember five people today i'm simply going to say you know just want you to know i appreciate what you're doing we all have a tendency to focus on the the one percent if i got 100 evaluations and 99 said you were great and one said what the heck were you talking about that's the one i would want to focus on i can't believe they didn't like me however it's focusing on what we're, not that we can't learn from what doesn't go right, obviously. Right. Uh, and it's a, it's a lifelong process. It's an everyday. It's cleaning out the stuff that is going to allow me you know, to, to spiral down. And then we model this for everybody. You know, you're both very visual and um, visible, excuse me, not visual, maybe visual as well, but uh, visible. You're out there, people see you. How do you respond? Man, I don't know how Colin did that with everything that's going on. I kind of want to eat for breakfast what he's eating. I want to follow his philosophy. Man, Mike, I don't know how you did that, but what did you do? What books do you read? You know, what do you do in the morning? Um, and, it, and it's learning to model this for others because they're watching, whether we know it or not, and make it safe, you know, if they come up and, and want to share your wisdoms because, man, we can learn. I, at least I believe I can learn from uh, my 11-year-old some of the time and, you know, from an 80-year-old and everybody in between. But it, it's, it's a process. It's how we think. 
it's true influence is what it is. <laughs> you know, we think about in 2019 in a world that's so focused on influencers and followers and, you know, all these and likes and all these things. I mean, it's, it's true influence. People need to look around them and be like, I can impact this organization. I can impact the people in this room. I can impact, you know, my kids like, and, and I don't think there's anything more important from an influential standpoint than that. There's nothing. No, so, I couldn't agree more. This um, is this has been awesome. Do you have any last minute questions before I mean, we I wrap did, up? I did oh. kind of want to get into the just hear about the the animal fund that you have. Um, you said that you have like an animal business in Reno. Is I that would right? dearly love. Well, we help. We've helped in Gainesville. And we've okay. helped in a We help all over. It's based in Nevada, and I'm working very hard. Thank you for asking to bring mm. the East Coast version of it here and then make it centered here. We pay emergency veterinary bills for elderly, disabled low-income, returning veterans, college kids, anybody who has a suffering or dying pet and they don't have the funds. And this is, we received, I just had a board meeting last night. Uh, last month alone, we got 500 and some odd emails and 322 phone calls, I believe. No, I've got it backwards. Uh, uh, 300 and some odd emails and 500 and some odd phone calls. And these are from all over the country. And everybody lives, most everybody lives on under a thousand a month and their dog gets hit by a car or gets a, their cat gets attacked or any number of dreadful things. We had a dog named Shaq owned by a guy on an old elderly man named Dusty. The dog had a bone sticking out of its arm for I don't know how long because it got caught in a trap. He had no money and no vet would see him, and then he reached us. Uh, vets often won't even pay for euthanasia. We will never mm -hmm. let any animal in the United States that reaches us um, suffer. If we have to euthanize, uh, we, we will do that. So, And we don't get any salaries. We pay one person who manages the phone 365 days a year and emails 300. So we do, I think, remarkable work because we, we certainly enrich the lives of the humans and we stop the suffering of the animals. And we want to bring it, I want it to be centered in Gainesville. Right now it's still centered in Reno because I have a large percentage of my donations and a board there, but that's um, in the future because I think we've raised more than a million dollars and it's just a tiny little drop in the bucket. So I'm very proud of what we do and we just need lots of support and it, it all goes, it's a revolving door. It goes to the animals. We never have a facility. Um, we run off of a cell phone and we've been going since 2004. We've got an incredibly fine reputation. Rachel Ray has helped us, Ella DeGeneres has helped us, Comic Relief has helped us, but we still have a long way to go. Great, thank you That's so awesome. much for that work. I, I don't know if, it, if you've ever lost a pet before, but like there's, I don't, it's, it's really hard. And, and I think sometimes you're not prepared for how hard that is. And so that's definitely something that's uh, near and dear to a lot of people. But. And they're the family. They are. For especially yeah. elderly, they're often the family, yeah. This has been great. Jennifer, thank you so much. Um, where can people find you if they want to uh, reach out to you, have you speak? I mean, is email the best way or? Email or website, I do coaching one-on-one. -on -one. I go into co corporations all the time and talk about communication and leadership and customer service. And then I speak all over, the, well, I'm fortunate I've spoken in Tokyo and Oslo and then primarily it's in the US. Yeah. Um, website uh, or email. Yeah, and what is the website again? It's magiccom.com, M-A-G-I-C-C-O-M-M.com. Too many C's and too many M's. And, then, <laughs> and the same thing, the, yeah, I, you know, I had this before email. It shows how long ago it is, geez. And the, the email is jennifer at 
M-A-G-I-C-C-O-M-M.com. Cool. Or you can always just call Colin. <laughs> yeah, I'll definitely call me. I'll forward you. It's it's all good. Um, thanks again for being here. Hey, Thank wor- you. world, everybody that's listening, you know, I want like definitely hit us up on social. Tell us, you know, what what you love. If you have if you have um, questions for us, let us know anything that we can do to to help. Um, you know, give us a holler. Just actually, I just like it when people like drop in on LinkedIn, Instagram, say hi. Like, go hit up, go hit up. Uh, I'm there, Mike, on Instagram. <laughs> or do you check your DMs, Mike? I check my DMs. Yeah, yeah, maybe once a day. Hey, uh, can we like make sure like to put his Instagram, Michael Brian D's. Yeah, Michael Brian D's. <laughs> right with yeah. a I and Brian. Yeah, B R I N D E E S. Cool. Yeah, give give Mike a little bit of love for for being an awesome co-host. Oh, thanks. <laughs> and um, and please, please, please leave us a review, you guys. Like, go. I mean, if you've got any value, if you've got any value in these, go to iTunes. Go to wherever you can leave a review. Facebook. Is there anywhere else, Joanne? Am I missing it? iTunes and Facebook iTunes. primarily? Yeah. Uh, yeah, just like leave a review. Tell us how we're doing, so that way we can continuously get better and continuously be making the show even more awesome. That's it. Thank you so much. You're listening to the WHOA GMV podcast, the podcast bringing you businesses and individuals that make it go, whoa. We will see you later. Bye.